0: Fellow goths, horror enthusiasts, and children of the sun and moon, I am your humble Los Angeles witch, Moonchild Nil, and welcome to another episode of Midnight Tea. Well, I hate to say it right off the bat, guys, but we actually don't have too much in the way of new goth news to talk about on this episode. Um, unfortunately, not a lot is really going on in the goth world this week, and I feel like, unfortunately, I've always suffered the curse of, I'll release this episode, usually nowadays, on a Thursday night into Friday morning, and yet, the minute I do, there's a new piece of goth information that just came out, or something big happened in the goth world, and I have to end up pushing it to another episode, but who knows? But in any case, how are you guys doing out there today? Um... I, if some of you guys have been following some of my other social media, you'll know that I have officially gotten my first shot of my COVID vaccine. I got my shot on Tuesday and I'll be honest, the, the initial prick was not as bad as I thought, but immediately within the first 15 minutes, I garnered a headache and my arm was incredibly sore. Um... I think that could be attributed to either it was something to do with the vaccine or the fact that I hadn't really eaten at that point. I got my shot around, I want to say 3.30 in the afternoon. So there's a possibility that, yeah, maybe I was just hungry and my body's just reacting. Because as soon as I went home, I ate, I drank some vitamin water, um, the ice flavor, which is one of my favorites next to the pink one. I forget what that one is. I think it's strawberry kiwi. I drank some vitamin water and the headache went away. Um, My arm was sore for day one and day two. I am now on day three. Well, if you're watching or if you're listening to this episode on Friday, that'll be day four. By day three, my arm was perfectly fine. Um, The soreness went away. And other than that, I mean, I had some minor like dry mouth on day one, but everything is perfectly fine. I feel great. I feel no different. And... I think that's pretty, that's a good sign. Um, and I'm already scheduled for my second shot on the 23rd, which I'm super excited for. And like I said, if you're following any of my social media, most likely my uh, Instagram, I'm posting daily updates on how I'm feeling. But on TikTok, I'm going to compile a, my a complete experience of the vaccine one after at least a week after I finalized getting my second shot. And just to give you a kind of an update on how I'm handling it. And that's not to say that I'm the poster child of this vaccine. Everybody's reaction, bodily reaction to the vaccine is going to be different. Some people may experience nothing at all. Some people may have some really bad symptoms or side effects. But it, you're going to be fine. Understand everything, every side effect that you feel from the vaccine should only be temporary. Um, and yeah, just... As always, even after your first vaccination, hell, even after your full vaccination, I'm still highly encouraging everybody to still social distance. Don't be Texas. Still wear all your masks. Double up if you feel you need to. Don't be Texas. And wash your hands as frequently as possible. And I'm sorry that I'm saying that so frequently. And I know this isn't every single person in Texas, but you guys just went through a really rough winter. You're at the point where your government is kind of fucking you on um, charging you almost $10,000 for if you had any kind of electricity or water um, during that whole winter storm. And I think that's ridiculous. And now they're saying, well, you know what? Fuck the rules. We're just going to go and fully reopen everything. Nobody has to wear masks if they don't want to. You don't have to social distance. I'm like, we're just getting to the point of getting this COVID thing under control. And had you just wait a few more months, you would have been fine. But now you're putting your entire state, and Texas is the biggest state in the US, in trouble by doing this. And that is the most dumbest fuckery you could pull right now in a global, I'm saying this because it's not just the US, it's around the world, global pandemic. Please guys, don't don't look at Texas and think, oh, well, I can't wait for us to reopen. Yeah, I can't wait for us to reopen either. I want to go back into the waking world like everybody else does, but I'm not going to put myself and others in danger for that want. Okay, that's a, like, th- like what Texas is doing is crazy selfish and they don't know what they want at this point. And my heart pines for the people of Texas who genuinely want to get safe. They want to be vaccinated. They want to wait and they're willing to wait until it is safe to do so. So please, guys, that's why I, I every intro lately, I've been encouraging people to please be safe. And that's because I genuinely am concerned for your safety. And I was going to save this for my listener friendly last questions, but I'm going to rattle this off right now that somebody did ask me or not. It wasn't so much of a question, but they did put it in my inbox that there were that they don't want to get the vaccination. And I shouldn't have gotten it either because Microsoft and Bill Gates are microchipping the vaccines. I'm going to answer that right now real quick, and then I swear we'll get into the episode. I don't give a shit. First of all, that sounds like some serious right-wing, right, I can't even say it without flubbing it because it's so stupid, right-wing propaganda, some conspiracy theory bullshit to make people afraid of the vaccination. And I'm sorry, but that sounds like something that some bullshit of these protesters that are outside of Dodger Stadium preventing people who do want to get this vaccination holding up their weird-ass signs and stuff, that sounds like something they would do. I'm here to tell you, I don't think there's a, a microchip in the vaccination. Why? You know, for, for what gain? And I'll, I'll even humor this. Even if, if there truly was a microchip in the vaccination, who cares? Okay? Because everybody who's complaining about that, you all seem to forget, if the government really did want to track your whereabouts, what your ins and outs, everything that you do, then you need to throw away every single piece of electronic device that you have that has a camera. I'm talking about your fucking smartphones, your tablets, your iPads, your Kindles, your laptops, your computers, your webcams. Throw it all away. Every single one of it. Because I'm telling you right now, the government's been tapping that longer than it's been worrying about your fucking vaccine. Okay? And I say this because... How do you like okay, let's take I don't I really hate bringing up politics and I hate going back to it again, but let's do this real quick. Remember the storming of the Capitol on January 6th? Do you understand how many of these people got caught? It's not all just because people ratted out their neighbors or their family members that went. They found out because your phone, whether it's on or off, has an IP address and it can be pinged to your location. So that's how they've been really getting these people, these domestic terrorists. So Again, anything that you have that has a camera on it can be tracked. This is also how people, sketchy people from the deep web can spy on you through your cameras. And I'm not trying to install any kind of fear of this, but I'm just saying. And, and anybody who has a social media knows this. Have you ever said something in the privacy of your home to your friends or this or that or on the phone with somebody? Or hell, if, at this point, have you even thought of a certain thing? Let's say shoes. And you ever thought it was weird that that exact shoe will show up in your Instagram algorithm? No, honey, that's not a psychic premonition, boo-boo. You've been, you're being tracked. You've been tracked. Okay? So if the microchip really is looking at my ins and outs and whatever I'm doing, let's say, for example, oh, so now I guess the government knows that I watch porn or I speed when I drive. Enjoy the fucking show is what I say. So anyway, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode. Alright guys, disclaimer time, in that tonight's episode is going to contain strong language, possible spoilers for books and media, and dark topics. So this is your viewer, or listener, discretion advised. So we're going to start off this episode with, honestly, the only real topic I have that's new in the goth world, and that is news of Beetlejuice the musical, musical, musical. Now, in a previous episode I had mentioned that The musical this year in 2021 was going to be moved to South Korea for its next initial run. Um, As far as I know, that's where it is now. But I guess the new news is, where was it going to go afterwards? Well, as of six days ago, well, seven, depending on when you're listening to this episode, Beetlejuice the Musical 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 will be spending 2022 in Brazil. So congratulations to Beetlejuice, the musical, musical, musical for making your way out there. But I am curious as to when are we going to get it back in the United States? So far, there hasn't been any new news past this. But yeah, I mean, I'm really bummed I missed out on its um, debut in New York at the Winter Gardens in uh, Madison Square Garden. I'm so sorry, not Madison Square Garden, Times Square. And yeah, I've actually heard good things about it, even though I know a lot of seasoned musical reviewers did not really praise this musical too much. And I know some diehard fans are a little on the fence about this one because it doesn't closely... It does follow the plot of the 1988 movie in in essence. It's still the story of the Maitland's dying um, Their house is invaded by the Dietzes. They want them out. And they end up enlisting Beetlejuice for help. But it's still. It takes its own cues. It doesn't necessarily follow that same flow. I'm not exactly going to spoil anything of this because I'm probably not the person to give a synopsis of what actually happens in this musical because I myself have not seen it. Uh, I do have a close friend who has and said so they thoroughly enjoyed it. But then again, this is also somebody kind of like me where. There is no bad, such thing as a bad adaptation of Beetlejuice. I mean, I'm going to level with you guys. My first interpretation of Beetlejuice wasn't even the movie. Um, my first introduction to it was the cartoon that was released in the... Well, I believe it was 89. And for some reason, they still were doing the reruns back in like 93. And that's when I started watching it. I hadn't actually hadn't seen the Beetlejuice movie easily until I was maybe 13. Like, I saw it late, late in life. But, yeah, I, I mean, I love both interpretations. I, I think the show, the cartoon, did kind of lose its luster pretty quickly, just because I feel like at some point, the last few seasons, they were scraping the bottom of the barrel for ideas, for plots of episodes. But, I mean, that was my, that was my first introduce, introduction to Beetlejuice, Lydia, and the rest of these characters. Hell, I still think one of my favorite characters, who doesn't make a very big appearance in the cartoon, is Prince Vince, Um, just because it was basically a a kind of a, a nod to Tim Burton's first creation, Vincent, which was just a short film. Which, if anybody hasn't seen it, you might be able to find it on YouTube. I highly recommend it. It's a great short. But yeah, so the Beetlejuice musical will be in Brazil in 2022 but so when are y'all gonna come back come to LA because even musicals that have not done very well in New York or Broadway still make their way here to, to LA at least to the Pantages Theater and I think Beetlejuice would do really well here especially in LA of all places um and I mean it would be fun maybe I'm being a little bit of a brat because I work for them but I think it'd be fun to do a a full Tim Burton or Beetlejuice experience by going to see the musical at the Pantages in Hollywood and walking the few short blocks over to go have a drink at Beetlehouse LA. I know that when my friend went to go see the show in New York, that's what he did by going to see the musical and then stopping over at Beetlehouse in New York for a drink. And I think that's a great way to have a full Tim Burton night. So congratulations to the musical for making it to Brazil in 2022. But Can y'all come to LA, please? We would love to have you. All right, guys, real quick before I jump into the next topic, I want to give a quick shout out to Black Craft Cult, which is right now having a 40% off sale. That means you can get 40% off of some of their great items, such as the Till Death Joggers, the Bats Roost Woman's Hooded Pullover Sweater, and the Believe in Yourself Purple Striped Tee Woman's Crop Top, and the Blood Moon Unisex Lounge Pants, and much, much more. Now it's 40% off, Just make sure to use code DEMON at checkout. D-E-M-O-N at checkout. Go and give it a checkout at blackcraftcult.com. All right, guys. So now it is time for us to jump back into Haunted L.A. In my two previous episodes, we have discussed Peg and Twistle and the Hollywood sign. And then we jumped to just beneath it with the story of, well, kind of the part one of Griffith Park. And its history and haunts, starting with uh, Don Antonio Feliz, his niece Donna Patronilla, who cursed the land, and the haunts so far that we have spoke of was that he, uh, Don Antonio Cornell, and Donna Petronilla, who still haunt the grounds to this very day. Um, also, was briefly mentioned was some hikers who had apparently came across a demon that does live in Griffith Park, that has only been sighted very few times. This green, this demon has been said to have green scales for skin, stands roughly eight feet tall, with red hair, glowing white eyes, and bent backwards limbs. And honestly, that part scares me the most. Um, I know a lot of people have talked to me on my um, TikTok because I had made a video post about my hike up to Griffith Park the other day and said, oh, well, this demon's fake. Or <laughs> my favorite comments so far have been like, oh, this has to be the Grinch. And I'm like, uh, it'd be funny if it was. But according to people, they're genuinely terrified of this. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to get into the kind of the part two of Griffith Park and talk about its time after Don Feliz and the curse of Donna Petronella. So from there, in 1868, a man named C.V. Howard owned part of the land and sold it and sold the water rights for a profit. Unfortunately, he was shot in a saloon while celebrating the good fortune and the land was passed on to Leon Lucky Baldwin. And his streak immediately ended when he started a ranch and dairy on the property. But as the curse suggests by Donna, No one will be able to profit off of this land because it was supposed to be hers. So when this happened, cattle had died, fires destroyed all his grain, grasshoppers destroyed the crops, and basically everything just failed. So he, unfortunately, because of that, became bankrupt and was forced to sell the land to pay the mortgages that Baldwin had incurred. Sadly, not long after that, the man was gunned down by an outlaw, and the land was sold to Thomas Bell, who was a financer from San Francisco. He didn't hold the land for too long himself. Um, it's unclear whether he made any profits on it or did any improvements on it, but there's no real detailed record of what he did or didn't do with the land before selling it to Colonel Griffith J. Griffith, and this is where Griffith Park gets its name. Now Bell, now, Bell apparently lived into his 80s, and depending on whose story you believe, he either fell from the banister of his mansion, or his mistress pushed him to his death. So, it could be either way you want to put that. But now, on to some haunted areas, too, like the old Cavalry Cemetery. Now, Frank Burkett attempted to kill uh, Griffith J. Griffith outside of the old Cavalry Cemetery, on October twenty eighth, eighteen ninety one, Griffith's wife and sister were playing were paying their respects to their family while Griffith stayed outside and was almost murdered by this man. The Cavalry Cemetery was during I'm sorry, Cavalry Cemetery was during its time in LA's primary cemetery. So not too long after the incident, with Griffith in the 1900s, the occupants of the cemetery were unearthed and relocated to the new cavalry cemetery in the East near the East LA river. So yeah, there's a lot of bad juju in this area, according to all of this, but yeah, the, but this is not the only attack that um, Griffith have suffered in his time in owning the land. The truth of the matter is, it's probably a slight different one than what portrayed by Mr. Horace Bell. But even in the story of Donna Petronilla, a lot of sources say that she was blind. And part of that was the reason why Don Feliz did not want to surrender the land to her or bequeath it to her on his deathbed because he felt like she would have no way to control it. But, I mean, don't don't promise her the land and then not give it to her. So, with that in mind, um, as Griffith got older, and honestly, the ghost sightings were getting worse, um, Griffith had a ostrich farm on there that he was quickly ready to foreclose upon, because, again, nothing in Griffith Park stayed prosperous. Um... But yes, apparently there were many attempts on Griffith's life, due to this man Burkett, which was a I I'm sorry I haven't said it yet, but Burkett was a business partner of his. So, in that respect, nonetheless, in the later years, because Griffith started to fear the curse that was put upon the land by Donna, he decided to donate. 3,015 acres to the city of Los Angeles in December of 1896. But Donna was not done. She still laid a curse on the land that, again, nothing could stay prosperous. Um, in some respects, she did fail because by because at some point, not only I'm sorry, I apologize for this. Um, By some time later, the Griffith Observatory was built on one of the higher hills. And of course, leading into the 1900s and the 1920s when we got the Hollywood sign. But as far as the ghosts that I haven't mentioned thus far that are still there, and I, I honestly, there really is no way I can fully cover every single ghost that haunts this area. But there have been since then many murders that have happened and went unreported in Griffith Park. Whether it's been over drug abuse, violence, prostitution, there have been many. Um, There was a hiker, I want to say, easily six, seven years ago, that had found a woman's head partially buried in the earth. So, I mean, there's some scary stuff that happens in this park. And I'm not trying to warn people and say that Griffith Park is unsafe, but when people go there at night... You know, there's no real way to keep tabs on that, because yeah, they do have gates that drop down so you can't drive your car in there, but that doesn't stop people from biking or walking into the park, which me personally I discourage, which I've said in my previous episode, I don't discourage going there after dark. But we did also mention that there is an abandoned zoo in the park where animals were horribly cramped in these cages and mistreated. And I mean I gave an analogy, but again, think again. Think of a a tiger. A full grown tiger in the size of what's essentially an RV. There's nowhere near enough space for this animal to live. And though some animals were transferred to what was now built as the new LA Zoo, which is about a mile down, a lot of animals were missuffered and died in these horrible conditions. And again, you can go up to these cages, some of them are even open that you can actually walk through them. But I've heard many cases where people have heard animals and I'm not talking about you're hearing the animals all the way from the L.A. zoo and their roars and such are echoing into this part of the park. And if you've ever been to Griffith Park, you'll know that the distance between them is too large for you to be able to hear animals like that. But yeah, that's one of the other major haunts that is of Griffith Park. And also in terms of other ghosts that might be unnamed, some that you don't even see. There's also the carousel. This one is believed to be the same carousel where Walt Disney had taken his daughters and have kind of gotten the inspiration for Disneyland by sitting on a particular bench. I have never, I'm never, I'm not sure which bench this is, but saw sat on that bench and realized, yeah, I want to build Disneyland. And a fun fact is originally Walt Disney wanted to build the theme park right there on the side of Griffith Park. And the landowners at the time or the LA County said no. And in truth, I'm glad he didn't because as much as I would love for Disneyland to be in my home city of LA, it's not a good location. (laughs) I mean, that's a really bad location. Not even just in terms of size, but it's history. It's not worth all that. But there's also the carousel that is supposedly haunted by a little boy Um, that has been covered on Ghost Adventures, Um, and people have said they've seen this ghost. This is not just a one-off sighting. Then lastly, as far as ghosts that I can talk about that I know any history of, there is a particular bench that is on the opposite end of Griffith Park. It's actually just more in, closer to Hollywood, where there was a couple that, in the 70s, I believe, that went to have sex on a particular picnic table. And unfortunately, a low hanging, a heavy low hanging branch fell that night when they were there and crushed them and actually killed them. And now that that particular bench, I don't know exactly where it is. I've never found it, is haunted by the ghost of this couple. Um, I briefly mentioned that also in my TikTok video of Griffith Park. And a lot of people have told me they found it thanks to this um, this group called Sam and Kobe, who I guess have also been to this bench. I personally haven't been, but they actually say that you should never go there with your significant other. Otherwise, the couple will curse your relationship. That's some pretty scary stuff. So anyway, that's going to cover my part two of Griffith Park, but my part three of this all encompassing area since Griffith Park and Hollywood are all kind of one in the same. They're all in the exact same area. And I'm I do these videos not to scare But just to inform more than anything of the haunts in the area and, of course, of this land's history, I still highly encourage ever hiking up to the Hollywood sign, getting that glorious view of all of L.A. I also encourage anybody, depending on which trail you take to get to the sign, to check out the Wisdom Tree. It's absolutely beautiful. It's such a fun experience. It's actually a really short hike, depending on which way you take it. Um, there is a, a way to get to it that only takes about 25 minutes to hike up to the tree, but it does take a lot of courage because this is the kind of hike where you need to use your hands. You're not just walking uphill, you're climbing. But when you get to the top, you get this most beautiful view of not just LA, but because it's on that side of the mountain, you'll get to see almost the entirety of Universal Studios, and it's really cool. But the Wisdom Tree up there, it's, it's such a beautiful tree. It's so nice. You can also um, there's a trunk up there where people leave um, paper and pens and notepads and you can actually write your wish or your special thought for uh, when you get up there, because the the wisdom tree hike is supposed to be a rite of passage. And um, when you write down your affirmation, you can either put it in the trunk or you can take it with you or you can leave it in the book. And the tree is supposed to bless you. I mean, this tree is really amazing. Uh, if you ever google an image of the hollywood sign and you're facing it the tree is off to the left and it's it no matter where you are when you see this you can see the tree from afar because it stands very tall for some reason even though when you get up to it it's not that big but it's still an amazing tree i've done this hike twice i absolutely love it and yeah i encourage everybody to do the wisdom tree hike to hike the sign enjoy griffith park I just really highly recommend, please don't go after dark because there are mountain lions up there. There are deer and among many things, there's ghosts, there's paranormal activity and there's demons and God forbid you don't want to be up there when these things happen. That's absolutely terrifying. But thank you for checking in and enjoying the segment of Haunted LA. I will come back next week with another segment for you all to enjoy. Okay, guys, it's that time. It's time to get into our listener-friendly asked questions. Tonight, I'm only going to answer two because one is going to have such a long answer that I can't squeeze three out of this one. So let's go ahead and jump on into it. These questions were both asked anonymously. So we're going to start off with the first one. And it says, what fun celebrity story can you share? Um, I have a lot, actually. Um... I mean, I kind of briefly mentioned in a previous episode about the coffee accident I had with Ogre from Skinny Puppy, which I'm not proud of. But yeah, I've had a lot. Um, I guess I could do this one and um, hopefully this doesn't bite me in the ass. But I had an incident where me and a friend of mine, former friend, used to go to see Steel Panther, which is an 80s tribute band um on top of comedy troupe satire just all around badasses and they dress like they're an 80s hair metal band i fucking love them i miss them to death i can't wait to go see one of their shows again but they used to perform every monday at the house of blues hollywood when that was still around and we got to go so often that at some point they kind of the band just knew us by first name and we used to go and hang out and see and um, hang out with them in the VIP lounge after the show. Be- uh, I believe it was called the Foundation Room. And that place was so cool. It was so fun to go for the after party just to drink and dance and just let loose. And it was a 21 up event. So you were, you know, you were dealing with cool people. It wasn't like the same 18 and over crowd that shows up for the show. But in any case, that night I was feeling particularly sexy, you know. I was a lot slimmer back then. I was, well, I mean, I'm not trying to body shame myself, but I was way more confident in the way I looked. My makeup was really nice. My hair was done up cute. And, you know, me and my, my friend were just buying drinks, were dancing. And I came across this one guy who was so gorgeous. So, so incredibly gorgeous. And I was feeling particularly flirtatious that night. And... You know, I just, I went up to him with no shame and just said, you're fucking sexy. You're really fucking hot. And I don't know where I got, had the balls to have that kind of courage, but this guy responded very nicely to it and got up close and whispered in my ear if I wanted, I'm not going to get into details of exactly what he said, but he said something akin to, let's go have some fun in another room in one of the private bungalows or cabanas, whatever you want to call them. And for a minute, I was really into it, but I am the queen of advocating for safe sex. And I did not have a condom on me at the time. So unfortunately, I declined. But I was, and of course, the the guy went off and did his business. And I was incredibly pissed that I let that opportunity slip through my hand. But at the same time, again, practice safe sex. And at the time, I worked for lip service, um... Uh, doing their accounting work, and also helping with photo shoots, fashion, and sewing, and what have you. So about, I don't even want to say a month, not even a month went by, maybe about two weeks went by. I'm, I'm there working, I'm doing accounting work that particular day, and I see this guy again. And it dawns on me, he's actually a member of a particular... I don't know whether you what you would call them, like, punk, emo, goth. Because uh, I, I personally did not listen to this guy's music or his band's music. But he is involved in a band that was really popular at the time. And, like, incredibly popular. Like, Hot Topic fucking ate them up. And I didn't realize who he was until he walked in and my boss had said, oh, this is the band Blah. They're coming in for a photo shoot. And they're going to buy some um, new clothing for their next tour. And I saw the band come in. I was like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And then I, I made eye contact with this guy. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and for a second, he didn't recognize me either. And then we did. he did a double take. And we just stood maybe three feet from each other. And I'm just like, were you at Steel Panther a couple weeks ago? And he's like, yeah, I, I feel like I remember you. From the foundation room? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I didn't know you worked here. And I'm like, I didn't know you were in this band. And we just kind of stopped and we're like, ooh, this is super fucking awkward. And he's just like, well, hey, how's it going? I'm like, hey, it's it's all good. It's all good. How are you? And he's like, yeah. And we just awkwardly did that slide out of each other's way and never saw him again. Never, ever happened again. And <laughs> I was like, wow, what are the odds that that would ever happen to me? So that is one particular Hollywood celebrity story I could share with you all. Um, Like I said, I'm going to keep the sake of anonymity of who this guy is and the band he was involved in because I'm not trying to put anybody out like that. But yeah, that was that story. Um, So yes, my next and last question for the night is... What's your ranking of your favorite horror movies and their sequels? Ooh, um, this episode cannot be that long because, <laughs> believe me, we can go into it. I have such a huge uh, knowledge and plethora of horror movies that I can go through with their sequels that I love. And ooh, um, so I'm going to rattle off a few, one and but there's going to be one particular movie selection where the list is going to be long um let's start with an easy one like the crow there's four movies plus a tv series um i think for the most part the order in the movies were released in is the same way i would rank them of course the very fucking top is the 1994 the crow with brendan lee because you're never gonna top that that movie is phenomenal and next i'm gonna give it up to the crow city of angels which is the direct sequel from the first movie which continues the storyline of what happens with sarah as an adult The only difference now from here is in third place, I'm going to give it actually to The Crow Wicked Prayer, which is the one where Edward Furlong, that cutie from Terminator 2, who did not grow up that that cute, that was the fourth movie in the franchise. And honestly, I'm going to put that above The Crow Salvation. I found The Crow Salvation to be incredibly boring, like too boring for words and just not that great of a movie. And that's not to say Wicked Prayer is any better. I just think it's so bad, it's good. It's It has Edward Furlong in it, um, David Boreanaz, Tara Reed, and Danny Trejo, of all people, and you wouldn't think that would work. But I also give Wicked Prayer a little bit of an edge because there is a book based on that story. So that's my ranking of that. I'm not going to rank the TV series because the series is kind of a... more of a direct... Se- it's more of a, a recap of what happens with the First Crow storyline. As a matter of fact... I believe his name is, I don't know his last name, but I know the, the the guy who plays Eric Draven in the series, his name is Mark. And he actually was a stunt double for Brendan Lee. And, and honestly, when he wears the makeup, he does. At some points, like, depending on how you light him and the, the angles of his face, he actually is a spitting image of Brendan Lee. And it's really impressive. So that's my ranking for The Crow. Let's do another easy one. Let's do the movie Scream. Um, I'm, I'm also not going to count the TV series because I haven't finished it. I really do need to revisit it again, though. But as far as the movies go, I'm going to say, of course, obviously the first movie is the best. Um, then from there, we're going to go, I'm actually going to say Scream 4. A lot of people don't give that movie a lot of love. I think it's actually really good for what you get. Then from there, it's Scream 2, which is just okay. Not bad, just Okay. And last at the bottom tier is going to be Scream 3 because, God, I hated that villain. I think that was such a dumb plot twist. Nobody fucking cares. So, yeah, fuck Scream 3. But um, let's do another one. Let's do let's do It. Um, both the TV miniseries and the Andy Muschietti films. And I think the, the casting or the listing for this should be very, very uh, simple. And number one is obviously going to be It 2017 because I just think the kid casting... The, The time framing, the script, everything about this was very solid. And for once, you gave us a scary interpretation of It. Because the painted lady, I found out her name is Judith, she still fucks with my dreams. So we're going to say, yes, Andy Muschietti's 2017 It. From there, I'm actually going to cheat a little and give it to a tie between the It miniseries part one with the kids and the 2019 It chapter two, because... Of course, the stuff with the kids in the original miniseries is really good. It's a pretty solid movie on its own. And honestly, the of course, the, everybody's complaint about the It book or story in general is that the part with the adults is the weakest part, and they're not wrong. Even with Andy Muschietti's version with the pretty stellar adult cast that they give us, it's not bad, but it's not as good as the kids. The kids sell, The kids really fucking sold you on this movie. And the only reason I'm even giving second place a tie between the two is because, again, the adult cast in 2019 is fucking solid. And I'm definitely giving up giving it up to my boy, Bill Hader, because he brings it for this movie. He is it for me. So I'm going to tie it between those two. And of course, in the last place is going to be... The It miniseries part two with their adults. I'm sorry. It's pretty weak. I really cannot stand the fact they gave Bill a fucking ponytail. Why? On um, yeah. God, adult Richie gets on my last nerves. I'm sorry. I cannot stand his jokes. He's horrible. He's god awful. And I feel bad putting it in last place because I'm a big John Ritter fan. Um, may he rest in peace. But yikes. It's and I, it's not even 100% their fault. It's just, it's the script that, th- that was written for it um you know they did the best that they could again this came out in the 90s in 1990 so I mean what you see is what you get plus it was made for ABC which was a really bad idea to make an adult such, and such like the content of the book is just so adult I definitely don't recommend this for kids to make it into a network broadcast for a Disney channel that was not smart but that's gonna be it for the it series and I think the last one I'm gonna do is Halloween Now, the only reason I'm not going to do any other films, not just because I don't have enough time, but a lot of these films I haven't watched in a really long time. So like the Friday the 13th series, the Nightmare on Elm Street, I have Chucky on Blu-ray. I have every single Chucky movie except for the remake with Mark Hamill. And I haven't watched them in a long time. And I feel like it would be unfair for me to put a ranking on them if I haven't seen them recently. So Halloween is the only one where I have every single one of them. I've watched every single one of them fairly recently. So I feel like it's a little easier for me to give you my tops on that one. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to actually start from the bottom up and in debt out of the 11 movies. And I am going to do some, a little bit of comparisons because some of them have different cuts of the film, but in dead last is Halloween five. I don't give a shit. If you guys are angry about that, you can fight me. Halloween five is a piece of shit. I can't stand those fucking cops and their fucking clown music whenever they're on screen. I hate Tina. I hate that they killed off, um, I don't remember her name, but they killed off Daniel Harris's adopted sister in the most stupidest way possible, plus the fucking mask. I've, I've always thought that mask was scary, but that's because I didn't know any better. And I, to me, it looks like a rooster. Like the hair's got this mohawk-y kind of look to it. It, it. it doesn't work for me. So no, fuck that movie. Next is Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. And d- again, depending on which cut of the movie you saw, there's a producer and a director's cut. I think the one I've always seen was the director's cut where it has that weird sci-fi looking showdown between Paul Rudd and Michael Myers. The mask in this movie is phenomenal, but it's not enough to save this movie and as, again, it, just like Part 5, it, you know, it's, it it introduces the man in black and the, the cult of thorn shit and I'm just like I'm not here for it. That's so stupid. And I didn't even get into it in Part 5, but that whole thing about this vagrant fucking saves michael myers and keeps him in his house for a year what the fuck is that but anyway let me not go on too much of a tangent halloween six just is it such a mess between the two cuts i honestly haven't seen the producer's cut in a really long time but i think i would probably still prefer it plus there's this whole thing about you know michael myers may have had an incestual thing with his niece and ew no so no I i, I don't care which cut of that movie it's still shit So next, we're going to go to Halloween 2, and I'm talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, or H2 for short. And again, depending on which cut of this movie you saw, it was a different experience, you know? If you're seeing the unrated version, because that was the one more widely acceptable in the U.S. on DVD, you're seeing a fucking broken, um, you're seeing an absolutely broken... Why is her name escaping me? Um, Laurie Strode. There we go. You're seeing a broken Laurie Strode. Or if you saw the original cut that was released in theaters, you're seeing an actually slightly healthier one. I do like the themes of going through what PTSD looks like for someone who survived a serial killer. And, of course, with Daniel Harris as well. The only edge I would give to the director's cut, however, is Brad Dorif that plays Annie Brackett, um, Daniel Harris's dad. The moment... And, again, spoiler territory here, but when you see the scene where he finds his daughter dead, his crying scene is perfect. A lot of people say they think it's overacting. I think it's fucking phenomenal. He sells it so good. I'm here for it. But other than that, I think I would honestly prefer the theatrical version where you're seeing a slightly healthier Laurie Strode. It makes her a little less annoying, but I still kind of prefer... I'm kind of also here for the ending of the theatrical too because it gives you the impression that Laurie dies. Um the dead meat uh youtube channel actually covers this really well. i'm kind of actually pawing a little bit of his dialogue here cuz james a janice is fucking great but yeah i think i prefer the ending for the theatrical release and but there is some good to be taken from uh the director's version or the unrated cut but overall it's still kind of an, mm, movie i'm still not he- really here for the shock exploitation that Rob Zombie is so well known for in his films. So that's a little low on the list for me. Next would be Halloween Resurrection, which I wasn't really thrilled for. I don't, but funny enough, I'd still put it above H2. Um, I just, I think it's fun. It's, it's kind of a whatever movie, but it's, but it's fun. I think Busta Rhymes, um, playing this care this kung fu enthusiast and shit. I think it was funny. Um, I don't really care for the lead character. I don't care for any of the fucking meat sacks that Michael eventually kills off. It's, they're whatever. They're, they're there to be killed. But how fucking dare you kill off Jamie Lee Curtis in the saddest way possible? This woman's a fucking survivor. She deserves better than that. Um, but other than that, like I said, if you're interested in just a Big Brother-esque version of Halloween Resurrection, it's fun. It's not great, but it's fun. Next is gonna be Halloween 4, which, uh, Halloween 4, which I believe is the return of Michael Myers, and I always thought this movie was, eh, I'm sorry, I wasn't, and this is no slight on Daniel Harris, but I'm not really interested, I don't like when they introduce kids into movies, I feel like that kills the vibe for me dead, because now it's just evolving the kid, and it it didn't really do it for me, but I mean, as far as a sequel, a lot of people say they really like this one, I'm just kind of on the fence about it, I mean, it's not the worst. Um, As a kid, though, I will say I always thought this version of the mask was the scariest because of how stark white and featureless it was. Um, But yeah, as I saw it as an adult, I'm like, ooh, those beer goggles came off real quick. And it wasn't as, as frightening as I thought. The adopted sister character, I always, I'm bad with names. I'm sorry, guys. The adopted sister character is great. You know, she helps me sell... Daniel Harris's kid character a lot better. Uh, Jamie, I believe the character's name is. It sells that a little better for me. So yeah, it it ranks a little higher. Next from that, we are going to do Halloween H2O. And this one's fun. Again, it's kind of a little fresh off the heels of Scream, which was reviving the slasher genre at the time. And for what we get, I think it's, it's nice. I like the fresh start that Jamie Lee Curtis's character takes. And she changes her name. She moves out of the state and Michael still tracks her down. Um, I'm, I'm here for Josh Harnett, except for that fucking haircut, because fucking yikes. But I think it's still pretty solid. I think it's really good. It's fun without being a little ridic- too ridiculous. There's a lot of debates about how bad the masks are, and they're not wrong. Even Hell, even Halloween 4 had that briefly blonde mask, but I don't think anything tops H2O's fucking CG mask for just a few frames. I literally sat there and just stared at it on pause, and I'm like... Thought this was a good idea. There was no need, you didn't need that scene at all of Michael looking at this person with the fucking CG mask, but I digress. Um, but no, at the end of this movie, this is where you see Um Lori Strode's character at her most fucking final girl badassery. And I wish it that was a version of where the series just ended because it was kind of perfect. She she put the she closed the lid on this shit perfectly, but we got Resurrection and shit from that, but whatever. But no, no, Halloween h two O was very solid. Now, this is going to be controversial to some, but now we're at my top five, and Halloween 3 Season of The Witch is up there. And I know everybody's complaint: oh, it's not a true Halloween sequel because Michael Myers isn't in it. Shut up. Understand something that um, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill never intended for this to be this big series. They wanted it to originally just be an anthology because that's what the story just started off as, was just a killer hunting babysitters and it just so happened to be on Halloween. It was never intended to make Michael Myers this legend. So that was what they wanted with Halloween 3. And I get it. Yes, it doesn't involve Michael Myers. I still enjoy the story nonetheless. The kills in there are actually some of the most graphic the series has had up until we got Rob Zombie's version. And I think it's fun. I think the three masks as simplistic as they are, are fun and enjoyable to look at The fucking tune and jingle that you can't get out of your head is always there. I always make fun of it every year for Halloween, but it's fun. I like it. Rounding out number four is going to be Rob Zombie's very first Halloween. And again, there's two cuts of the movie between the unrated and the theatrical. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My voice is very dry, guys. I personally don't really have a preference to either or because for the most part, the movie's the same. There's not that many differences that mean anything to me aside from how Michael escapes his prison, which if you saw the theatrical, it was just he fucking breaks his shackles and murders a bunch of cops, including one Bill Moseley. Whereas in The Unrated, he escapes because two jackasses decide to rape an inmate in his cell, which I fucking hate that. Excuse me. And I think that just comes with the territory of, again, Rob Zombie has his own motif when he makes his movies, and that's shock exploitation. 70s shock exploitation. So I get it. It's an acquired taste. It's not for everybody. I personally don't really hate it, but I don't think it makes for the best Halloween movie. But where the movie redeems itself is, again, I know it's paint by numbers, but when the movie stops focusing on the origin story of Michael and goes back into being Halloween with Michael chasing down Laurie Strode. And, of course, I'm going to still give an honorable great shout-out to Ken Foray and Tyler Mayne for fucking wrecking that bathroom for their scene where Michael gets his jumpsuit. All right, and from there, now we're at the top three. It is going to be Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2, which was a direct sequel from the 1978 movie. And what can I say? This was actually the very first Halloween movie I ever saw. So for me, it was terrifying in the respect of it's in a hospital, which I I already always found inherently creepy. But now you're getting stalked by a killer. Now, depending on who you are, some people like the aspect that this was the movie where we were introduced to Michael being Laurie Strode's brother. I personally don't hate it. I mean, we got this so many movies out of it, but yeah, I don't hate it. It's fine. And I know that's going to be retconned by my top, my other movies, but I, I liked it. I didn't hate it. I, again, I think the creep factor's there. The mask looks fucking terrifying, even though I know it's a new actor under the mask, and of course the aging, because nobody took really good care of it after the filming of the first Halloween. But for me, it's solid. It's a good one. So Halloween 2. Then the last two, this should be fairly fairly easy to recognize at this point, is going to be Halloween 2018. Which I think is the biggest love letter of a movie to all of the Halloween franchises. It gives you references to a lot of the other original Halloween movies without... Being blatantly like, hey, remember this? It was from this. Remember this? It was from this. It's just a subtle wink, and that's all you need. I love the acting. The casting is really good. I mean, the movie's not without its flaws. Like, why would Michael still specifically just go after Lori Strode after X amount of years? But I think it is kind of that she's the one who got away at Complex. So I, I like it. I'm here for it. I love the idea of Lori Strode having a daughter and a granddaughter who are now going to follow in that path. We're still looking forward to Halloween Kills that was supposed to come out last year. Maybe now we'll get it this year. And Halloween ends whenever that decides to come out. So I'm excited for that. And I love this continuity in this storyline. I'm here for it. So that's going to be my number two. And number one at this point should be so obvious. Everybody should know it. It is, of course, the original 1978 Halloween. You can't fuck with a classic. It's a fucking masterpiece. And anybody who says otherwise, I will actually fight you. Because it's perfect. There really is nothing else to it. There's something about it that seems so gorilla style shooting. But it, it helps to make it so creepy. And the trademark heavy breathing of Michael when he kills his victims, even at the very end when it shows all the locations he's been to. Terrifying. The His movements, like how he did like that... Sit up after he attacked Laurie Strode in the closet. Like, the shadows, how he peers out of of straight blackness, fucking scary. Like, especially me, after I finally watched it the first time as a kid, pissed myself. And I've had nightmares of Michael for years. He's, out of all the titans of horror, the one that scared me the most. And I'm here for it. So, that is going to be my ranking of a few horror movies. Sorry I couldn't get to all of them. Like I said before, some of them I haven't seen in a long time. And I feel like it's unfair to um give them a ranking. But when I do, I will absolutely do one for you guys cuz it seems like you were really interested in it. And as always, I'm sorry I didn't get to your questions this time around, but if you have any for me, please throw them in my DMs. I'll gladly answer them for you. Magic practitioners, it is time for your spell of the week, and tonight I am choosing the leaving someone spell. This is a good spell for someone who may have broken up with a very toxic lover, girlfriend, boyfriend, ex-husband, wife, or even a friend that may have done you wrong and you feel that their presence, even if they're not with you, is still very toxic. So this may assist you in finding the strength to move forward towards a better life. Here's what you're going to need for this spell. You will need one black candle placed in front of you and a fire-burning container along with matches or a lighter. The best formation for this spell is a circle. If you would like to use any shape afterwards, you may do so. You will need to be facing north, so arrange your candles and and accessories as such. The best moon phase would be a waning or dark moon phase, which we are in right now. And the most favorable days of the week to cast this spell would be on a Sunday or a Saturday. For anything optional, if you would like optional crystals, you may use uh, any blackstone, such as an onyx an obsidian, or a jet. And as always, guys, you want to make sure you come into your spells clean. So shower or wash your hands beforehand. Make sure you're in a place with no distractions. Turn your cell phone off if possible and keep your lights dim. Now here is your affirmation for your spell. Within this place where I am, I now look for answers. I feel the wisdom of my guides and my inner self i sense the presence of the source of which all life comes i am becoming weary as to the road i should travel i in quotes have love or have had love for blank person's name but i feel the demise of what once was a powerful union help me overcome my weakness to make this choice and follow it through i have contemplated the idea of leaving with logic and clarity I will mourn these circumstances, and then move on with new hope and enthusiasm. This situation has been another step in my evolution, and was something I was meant to experience. As this door closes, I will not look at the closed door too long, but will look ahead for the one that is opening. And so it is. Now, light your candle. Stare into your black candle and visualize the person you are leaving becoming smaller and smaller and vanishing within the flame. Now, recite your following incantation I wish you well, as we now part. I follow what is in my heart. Each must walk our separate way, our union over on this day. You may conclude with an affirmation of, And so it is, blessed be your Amen. And you may extinguish your candle on your own or let it blow out as you see fit. And that's it, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on tonight's episode. I know we were a little bit scarce for topics this for this episode, but yeah, there really wasn't much to talk about. Not a lot has really happened. But I do appreciate every single one of you who have requested for me to do more Haunted L.A. Um, I have a video on TikTok that I did of my recent hike to Griffith Observatory, and that absolutely exploded. People were absolutely loving the history of um, Griffith Park that I went into, the ghosts that haunt the area, and that didn't even scratch the surface of what all goes on in that park. And I'm glad I also got to continue it here in the podcast as well. So thank you for everybody who visited my TikTok and sent out requests of, hey, can you cover this in your next episode of Haunted LA? And yeah, I have gotten to the point where I am going to be doing a once a week Haunted LA video in my uh, TikTok for people to see and get visuals of. Because yeah, like I, I can give a little history lesson in my podcast, but to actually get to see it is what really makes it. So thank you to that. And as always, you can find me on any of my social media. My Twitter is moonchildnil. My TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube are morningstarmoonchild. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share if you like the content that I do. And as always, feel free to hit me up in my DMs on my TikTok, Twitter, or Instagram if you have topics you would like me to cover in future episodes, or if you have questions for my listener-friendly asked questions. Because as you can tell from this episode... I love them. Now, I'm actually feeling better from my COVID shot. Um, The first two days were a little rough. I'm on day three. Well, as this video comes out, day four. Sorry, sorry, podcast, day four. And my arm finally stopped hurting and I feel no side effects. I feel perfect. Um, And like I said, you might not want to take me as a poster child for this because everybody's reaction to the vaccine shot will be different and as I'm reading up from other people who've already been fully vaccinated, everybody's experience was different. They A lot of people have told me, though, side effects come a little more prevalent in the second shot. So I'm looking forward to that at the end of the month. But I just saw um, as of yesterday, or like I said, by the time this podcast comes out, that Universal is opening up something called Taste of Universal, which is a paid for dining experience inside the park which will be open to Springfield USA Wizarding World of Harry Potter the Minion Cafe and the Hollywood and Dine and this looks really cool um of course like the same thing that Disneyland's doing over in their park like their taste of Disneyland um it'll be the parks will be parts of the park I should say will be open for dining and shopping experiences but other than that The park will still remain closed. There's not going to be any attractions open and there's no rides. Um, I don't know if Disneyland is do or it's Disney's California Adventure will be doing the exact same, but there will be walk around characters at Universal Studios. They haven't listed all of who all will be there, but I think it's fair to say we'll get a fair few like the Minions or the Train Conductor, maybe some professors walking around. You can still bring your interactive wands. You can still use them in the park. So I think it's really cool, and yeah, you get a full. I supposedly it says it's a three course meal, and tickets right now are forty four dollars for if you want to go on Friday, and forty nine dollars for Saturday Sunday for adults, and for children it's twenty five dollars any day, and this is only going to be open. Um, this is only going to be open during the weekend, so Friday Saturday Sunday. Every day starting from March, or every uh, weekend starting from March 12th to April, um, I think they, I believe they said April something. I don't remember the close date, but yours truly may actually go to this because I really do miss going out and being around people to some degree, as long as we're not doing what Texas is doing and abolishing masks and fully opening everything because that's a really bad decision right now. But in any case, guys, thank you for tuning in. I will have another episode ready next week. And as always, spread kindness. It costs nothing. Please stay safe out there and blessed be.